Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to look in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. May God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. We'll see several messages over the next few weeks that deal with the subject of what we call Christmas. And since I'm going to be talking about the doctrine of Christmas this morning, I think it's important right up front uh, to tell you that the word Christmas is not in the Bible at all. Uh, That might be news to some of you, to many of you, of course, you know that already. Uh, So you might ask, well, where does the word Christmas come from? Well, I googled it. And uh, got uh, uh, several references, but uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica came up first. That was one I looked at. Uh, Others had similar ideas. So uh, uh, Christmas is a Christian festival celebrating the birth of Jesus. Uh, The English term Christmas means Mass on Christ's Day. is a fairly recent origin. Uh, The earlier term Yule may have derived from the Germanic Joel or the Anglo-Saxon Geol, which referred to the feast of the winter solstice. The corresponding terms in other languages, Navidad in Spanish, Natalie, Natalie in Italian, Noel in French, all probably denote nativity. Uh, In the early 20th century, Christmas became a secular family holiday. Observed by Christians and non-Christians alike, devoid of Christian elements, and marked by an increasingly elaborate exchange of gifts. Uh, Amen? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In this secular Christmas celebration, uh, uh, it is the coming of an elf figure named Santa Claus uh, that plays the pivotal role. So the encyclopedia recognizes the truth that we all live. Uh, There is a celebration of Christ's birth also known as Advent in religious circles. It is also recognized then that there is a completely secular form of Christmas uh, that has nothing to do with celebrating the birth of Jesus and is built around the coming of Santa Claus. Most Christians today celebrate both forms of Christmas. Uh, We acknowledge and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and all that means to us. But we also celebrate a form of kind of a secular form of Christmas. My goal over the next few weeks, quite frankly, is to help you celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Some years ago, it became popular in America to take, especially, but perhaps also around the world, to take the Christ out of Christmas. I'm not talking about the popular abbreviation Xmas. Listen, X has long, long, I mean all the way back to the first century, been a symbol of Christ. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the Greek letter X, and in Greek that is key. It is a shortened abbreviation form of Christ. Uh, so uh, you may not like Xmas. I don't particularly care for it myself. Uh, but uh, uh, I do acknowledge that the X is a long, long-standing symbol of the name Christ and has been used in that way for generations. I understand that. I'm talking, though, instead about exchanging the word holiday for Christmas because the theory goes there are many people who don't believe in Jesus Christ and many are even offended by His name, um, 
Trying to take Christ out of Christmas is like trying to take heat out of fire or wet out of water. They go together. And the celebration of Christmas is tied to the birth of Jesus Christ, and rightly so. The question for all of us then is, is which side of this uh, celebration is going to be prevalent in our family, in our life, in our minds and hearts? Uh, which are we most going to pass on to our children? Is our celebration of Christmas going to be mainly, primarily, mostly emphasizing the birth of Jesus Christ? Or is it going to be mainly, primarily, mostly on more of the secular side of things and all that entails? Now, that's a question that all of us are going to have to answer for ourselves. But our services here, and if you look in your bulletin, we have a lot of them planned. Our Christmas Eve service, the services over the next couple of weeks, our cantata, all of these music programs, the singing of carols, our decoration of the church during this time, all of them are designed around our efforts to help us emphasize that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we have to approach that subject in a way doctrinally. And I notice that I understand that doctrine is not a real popular word. Oh, somebody kind of turns up their eye, nose a little bit. Uh, doctrine makes you think of arithmetic or, or, or having to memorize uh, the fraction tables or something. I, I don't know. But doctrine is a perfectly good word. It just simply means teaching. And we're talking about what the Bible teaches then about what we call. You understand the Bible doesn't use that word. What we call Christmas about the birth of Jesus Christ. And we started in a great passage this morning in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. And the first thing the Bible calls our attention to about this great season is the time when the fullness of the time had come. When the fullness of the time had come. You know, the Bible doesn't give us a date for celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. There are many different theories as to how we got the day, December 25th, as the birthday of Jesus Christ. But the most prominent is built around the idea. And somewhere back in antiquity, somewhere along the line, it was arbitrarily decided uh, that the first day of creation corresponded with the spring equinox. That's March 25th. And again, arbitrarily, traditionally just decided that that was bound to be the time if light came into the world. And that is exactly what it says. God's first act of creation said, let there be light. And so the idea was that that must have been the time when Jesus was conceived. And so nine months later was December 25th. And that's probably the most prominent theory about how the date December 25th got started. But let me be quick to affirm, I'm not telling you that's right. Because the Bible doesn't say. What we do know, the Bible does say, is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and it was at a time when the shepherds were abiding in the field. The climate in Israel is very, very much like ours. If you look at it on the map and, and put your finger on a globe and just kind of turn the globe around and keep your finger in the same place, you're going to find out uh, that Israel is just pretty close, maybe a little bit north of us. And uh, their climate, as far as Jerusalem is concerned, and Bethlehem just right outside would be pretty close to ours. Uh, now, if you bail off from Jerusalem and go down to Jericho, different story. But Jerusalem, up in the mountains, 
they get a lot of cold and some snow, kind of like us. And so the idea of the shepherds abiding in the fields around Bethlehem probably doesn't fit very well with December 25th. So what am I saying? I'm saying the Bible doesn't tell us. But uh, I am saying that if you celebrate Christmas in the middle of July, people are going to think you're a little odd. And it's going to feel a little funny to you. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we have established this. It's been this way for generations. It is a tradition. It is not something biblically established. So when God was talking about how the fullness of time had come, He was not telling us that it was December 25th. That's not in there. It's not anywhere in the Scriptures. However, once we have gotten past that and we understand that this is a time that we have traditionally set for the celebration of Jesus' birth, and once we've made that decision, we are going to celebrate. And understand there are some people who don't uh, celebrate Christmas at all. There are some religions, most notably the Jehovah's Witnesses, who do not believe in celebrating Christmas and will not let their people observe the holiday at all. They're not the only one. There are others who make that same decision. So once you've decided, okay, we're going to accept the traditional time and we are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in that marvelous season of Advent, then what is it that the Bible is emphasizing when it tells us the fullness of the time had come? That's first. When the fullness of the time. Obviously, God wants us to notice this. Well, we mark time in, a, again, an arbitrary way. It corresponds to the idea that there'd be 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. The 24 hours of the amount of time about that it takes the earth to move around on its axis one time and uh, 24 hours. Um, interestingly, the idea of day and night is something that God established. And in fact, it's part of His first creative act recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heaven and the earth. That settles it. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. It could be said then that God's first creative act was to create time as we understand it. He called it day and night. He said it would have evenings and mornings and everything else that you read then in the Genesis account of creation, I believe, is following that exact formula. Uh, 24 hours, days, day and night, evening and morning. Uh, God set the clock, in my opinion. Now, other people have other opinions. I respect their opinions, but... Uh, uh, I believe this is what the Bible tells us. I'm a biblical literalist, so I just take the Bible for what it says. And God said that there'd be day and night and that it would be punctuated by evening and morning. And as far as I'm concerned, that time is still in effect. And will be until God says there'll be time no longer <laughs> and time is going to be replaced by eternity. 
So if we're going to study time in a biblical fashion, we have to go to that and understand that God marks time by certain events. Of course, beginning with the creation. And the next great event would correspond uh, to the creation of man. And after man was created on the sixth day, then would come the fall. And Adam's sin would bring the curse on the whole creation. Romans 5 and 12 says this, Wherefore as by one man sin entered the world, into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And the fall meant then that there was need for redemption. And that redemption comes through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 and verse 21 says that as the sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What's that mean? That, that there are certain epochs that we would say, epochs, certain times, certain events that mark the passing of time. And this is one of them. That when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. It's important for us to know then that God was not late. He was not early. He was right on time. And that was true then and it's true ever since. And it's always true. God is never late. He is always right on time. And part of the reason then why that we celebrate the season we call Advent. Why do we celebrate Christmas? One of the things then the Bible wants us to note is that Jesus came when the fullness of time was come. Exactly at the right time. We could say he had an appointment. He kept it. Isaiah had prophesied long before, The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if we can wrap our brains this morning around the idea then that God had established that the Christ was going to come. He had established that Jesus was going to be born. He had prophesied it and promised it over and over and over again in the Old Testament prophecies. And now as he begins our discussion of it in Galatians chapter 4, he reminds us that Jesus came at exactly the right time. Then we understand that our God, though He is eternal has created time, and He established certain times, and when He does, He keeps them. The next great event on God's timetable is also built around Jesus Christ. It is when He is coming again. He's coming again. Jesus promised it. I don't have this in our text, but I will quote it for you. He said, if I go away, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The world is not through with Jesus Christ. He is coming again. And so if we can celebrate the fact that Jesus came into this world at Advent season, He came at exactly the right time, at an appointed time that God Himself knew and God had established. And though He did not tell us the date, He tells us very clearly He came at exactly the right time when the fullness of the time had come. And that is exactly what we anticipate today coming of Jesus Christ into this world. So the first thing then that we notice about the doctrine of Christmas is that it came at the exact appointed time 
Second thing that he calls uh, to our attention then is the Redeemer. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. This tells us that God sent forth his Son. And the language that is used in this passage tells us that if the Son of God was sent, sent forth, then He already existed because He had to exist in order to be sent. John puts it this way, John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And just in case we're wondering about who the Word was, we can spring forward to verse 14 where He tells us, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was with God, and He was God. And the text then says He was sent forth. He was sent, John tells us, to be made of a woman, or to be born of a woman. The words are used interchangeably. The first Adam was created without father or mother. Now the Bible tells us that God sent forth His Son, and that He was made of a woman. The angel of the Lord announced it this way to Joseph. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her, that's Mary, a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Because of that, Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Therefore, he is called in Scripture both the Son of Man, because he is, and the Son of God, because He is. So the doctrine of Christmas then includes that God sent forth His Son who was made of a woman, and also that He was made under the law. You see, Jesus was born to a Jewish family. So often these days, our depictions of Jesus show Him uh, to be Caucasian. But let me assure you, He was in fact Jewish. I actually had a discussion not long ago with someone who wanted to say that uh, Jesus uh, was a black person and was therefore of African descent. I had to point out to that person that Jesus was Jewish of the tribe of Judah. No, he wasn't Caucasian. He wasn't Oriental. Uh, he wasn't Native American. Uh, he wasn't an Indian, that is, from India. He was Jewish of the tribe of Judah. And we know who those people are. As a tribe, member of the tribe of Judah then, the Bible points out to us that he was born under the law. That meant that he was obligated by birth to keep all the provisions of the Old Testament law. 
He was circumcised on the eighth day of his life because the law would have required it. Mary would have had to have offered up offerings uh, at a certain and appointed time uh, so that she could be cleansed and, and not be ceremonially unclean. He would have observed the dietary laws and the rituals and kept them all without fault or failure, although it was a constant source of conflict between him and the religious leaders of his day because they so often pointed to the traditions that had been added along the way where Jesus Christ completely took them back to the original, to the law, as God had given it to Moses. He knew it well, and he kept it all without fault or without failure. So the doctrine of Christmas is first that the time was the right time. That God appointed a time, and He kept that appointment. It was the fullness of time. To remind us that God is an appointment-keeping God, that God created time. And He has events that mark time. And those events move around that redemptive purpose of God in Christ. And the next great one is that He's coming again. He's coming again. What a great message for Christmas. And then... That God sent forth His Son to be made of a woman and made under the law. The time, number one, the Redeemer, Jesus. And the last thing that's mentioned in this great doctrinal passage about the cross and about Christmas is the redemption itself. To redeem them that were under the law. And the reason I say it's because it's about the cross and it's about Christmas is because those two are tied together. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And this passage tells us very plainly that He has come to redeem them that were under the law. Earlier, Paul had written in Galatians 3 and 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on a tree. And to be hung on a tree then was to be placed under the curse. And in the Old Testament economy, that was considered a spiritually fatal kind of thing because you would die under the curse to be hung on a tree, a terrible thing. That was one of the mysteries of the New Testament and one of the arguments that was often presented about Jesus Christ is if He died under the curse... How can He be the Redeemer? How can you say that He is able to save us from sin because He died under the curse? He was nailed to the tree. He was hung on a tree, Calvary's tree, on the cross. He died under the curse. How could He save anybody? <laughs> Let me tell you something this morning. That verdict was reversed by a higher court. When? When He came out of the grave. He declared His victory over death. Therefore, that death that He died under, though He died under the curse, He lives under the righteousness of God. He defeated that. Nobody else could do that. <laughs> uh, Jesus did it. He even predicted it. He called it, and He made it happen. Our Savior lives. No wonder the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that we can be saved to the uttermost. Why? Because He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Our salvation is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it was His death on the cross where He took our curse. 
Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. You see, the doctrine of Christmas is the doctrine of our Redeemer and of our redemption. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why the celebration of Jesus' birth is found so offensive in a lot of circles today. Uh, the message of the birth of Jesus is uh, not about who's been naughty and nice because the message of the birth of Jesus is that we've all been naughty. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us were under the curse. And Christ has redeemed us. That means He has purchased us. He has paid the price. Because the curse of sin is death. He died in our place. He took our curse. So that we might then receive the righteousness of God by faith. The end result of this is also identified in this passage. So that we can receive the adoption as sons. What that means is, is that we are given full legal standing as a son of God. No second class members of this family. Uh, no, when you're born into God's forever family, uh, you become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have full legal standing. That is the adoption. You're given legal standing into God's forever family. So in our Christmas celebrations this year, I hope we can look about Galatians 4 and 4, and I hope you can include this in it. Remind that one of the things we celebrate, when we celebrate Christmas, once we've decided to celebrate it, and we've picked out a date to celebrate it on, and we have, and we're going to celebrate the, the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate His advent into this world concerning time. Then let's celebrate the fact that our God is a promise-keeping God. He keeps His promises, and He always keeps them right on time. And that includes the promises that are yet to be fulfilled that Jesus Christ is coming again. We can celebrate then in the doctrine of Christmas concerning the Redeemer that Jesus was sent forth, made of a woman, made under the law, born of a virgin in Bethlehem's stable, made of a woman. Concerning our redemption, that He was made a curse for us, so that He could redeem us from the curse of the law. Paul defined that result for us very well in Romans chapter 3. Romans 3.23 is a famous passage of Scripture. Most of us learned it in Sunday school or in Awana. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I want you to see that statement this morning in its context because it is a glorious context. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely. Isn't that a great word? Freely, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our justification comes to us freely. 
But like everything else that is free, somebody has to pay for it. Amen? And what happened in our redemption was that Jesus Christ paid the price. So that justification, our righteousness of God by faith, can come to us freely. Because Jesus paid it all. These are great things, brothers and sisters in Christ, for us to celebrate as we celebrate Christmas. It's hard to celebrate something you've never experienced. If you haven't received that redemption that is in Christ Jesus like any gift, it has to be accepted. And maybe you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you didn't know it before today, you do now. The question is, have you received that redemption by faith? We receive it by faith the moment that we realize that we don't have the price to pay. We can't save ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. Money can't buy it. Can't buy this gift. It comes only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we realize that His death was my death, his burial was my burial. His resurrection was my resurrection. And His new life then is my life. When we believe that on the basis of what He did on Calvary, I can have my sins forgiven when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Have you done that today? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Maybe today you realize you've done that, but maybe you hadn't followed him in baptism. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I don't know what may be on your heart today. But I pray that you'll follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, whatever that means to you. Let's stand together, please.